Welcome to the Your Creativity Podcast. We have long-form conversations featuring incredible creatives from all walks of life, sharing their unique journeys, and more with our quirky panel of hosts, featuring Dylan Mazziotti, Steve Hatch, Terry Burden, and Jessica Richardson. All right, I'm hitting record now. No turning back. We're on our way now. On our way. Good luck, gentlemen. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck this up. I'm glad that you said fuck first because now I feel liberated. Now you feel like you're okay. <laughs> now I feel it. like I'm going to be okay. <laughs> well, that's how Steve starts out every podcast. Is <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I start off everything that I do. <laughs> and, th- and then we do. <laughs> yeah, then what? we do mess it up. And I'm going to leave that audio in just for fun. So. Perfect. Oh, great. Hell yeah. <laughs> but not all of it. Wise advice at the beginning of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Please pay attention. Kids, <laughs> learn. that's a valuable lesson, kids. Do not fuck it up. Just do your best. Just do your best. If you do, just tell someone. <laughs> Ask for help. Okay, wait. True story. As a child. Hell yeah. Yes. Um, I thought suck was the bad word. Oh, so yeah. we always dropped fuck. Are you I, for real? Yeah, and I don't know if my mom was just being nice, but we were always just dropping the <laughs> F-bomb left and right because we thought suck was the, was bad, the word. bad word. Suck was a bad word where I grew up. The F word for me growing up was fart. Okay. <laughs> or shut up. Shut up, also a bad word. Yeah, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> then I became 18 and I went hardcore with like some shits. <laughs> You're like, I will say shut up if I want to. <laughs> if someone deserves to be shut up upon, I will shut up upon them. <laughs> and then I'm going to flip and kick their butt. Their rear end. I will their, flip and kick it. I will flip and kick that bottom. <laughs> their buttocks. I never understood why hell was a swear word. Yeah, because that's just a place. It's a place. And, you know, it spiced things up a little bit. It, like, what the, you know. Yeah. But it's better. What the hell is better than what the fuck? What the fuck is way yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that heck is. I don't understand why heck is okay, but hell's not. Like, heck feels harsher. Because, like, you've got that hard CK in there. If you could throw a hard CK into a word, that's, like, hardcore <laughs> swear. That's hell sick. is like a hug. <laughs> it's like a whoa. <laughs> I used to say, what the HUD? <laughs> what the HUD? <laughs> and it, I mean, I guess HUD housing was like big at the time, yeah. but you know, like, what the HUD? That makes me think you're a gamer. Like, what the hell is happening on my HUD? Oh, but, yeah, I probably could have been. Yeah. But I didn't have a game. That's what you should tell people that that's why you say it. Because yeah. I don't think most people know about urban housing. <laughs> most people don't know about government housing in Utah. <laughs> Even though they lived in it. Even they had no clue what it was they called. They had no clue. They thought it was from the church. <laughs> we just thought it was from the bishop's warehouse. We thought this was the bishop's warehouse house. <laughs> we thought it was Bishop we Hutt. Call, we thought it was Bishop, the bishop's basement. <laughs> Bishop Hud gave me this house for, like, cheap. Bishop Hud. Bishop <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dylan, are you really keeping all this in? Because yes. I mean, yes. it's pretty this good banter. Be- this is beautiful. <laughs> well, I guess we can introduce him. We could. Uh, we hi, could. everybody. I'm Ben. Ben. A.K.A. the Fresh King Benjamin. No, let, let's start with that. Okay. You know, your name's Ben, so, you know, and there was King Benjamin in the Bible and all that, but 
Why'd you decide no, that? Was it Germanica? in the Bible or it's in the, the Book of Mormon? Book of Mormon. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the fan fiction. Come on, the wrong, the <laughs> right. wrong, the wrong religion. Yeah, you though. have the wrong made-up book. I'm an atheist now, so I'm just trying to forget all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you got to do something with that stuff in your brain. Yeah, so uh, I was named after King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon, and I, I was named after that because I grew up like deep in Mormon polygamy. So I, I grew up in something called the AUB. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's the one true Mormon religion. All the others are false. Okay. But the AUB is the true one, <laughs> just in case you were looking. If, but if I wanted the second true one the second true one would be the lds one for sure yeah (laughs) yeah so the lds church is like that's like the that's like the palatable one that we're taking to the world because they can tolerate it but the true deep mysteries of the religion are being kept alive by the apostolic united brethren um oh yeah that makes sense totally makes sense like if i were god and I had something important to tell to humans on earth, I would definitely give it to like three dudes in Utah. (laughs) Because they have a mouthpiece. They do, they have a mouthpiece. They are the one true speakers for God. Anyway, so I was named and after... Bishop Hud gave them their house. Bishop Hud <laughs> <laughs> gave them their calling. <laughs> ah, I love it. Yeah, so, I, so I, was, I was raised to believe that I was going to be sent out to preach the gospel to the wicked world, which is you guys. Um, heathens unite. Heathens, um, uh, charlatans, uh, just kind of like all of the good people of the world that I've now realized are just awesome. They were wicked. And so I was going to go out into the world and preach to them. I came out into the world. I decided I wanted to be sinful like you guys. So I started wearing uh, short sleeve shirts and drinking coffee. And um, I was masturbating the whole time. So I was already doing that. Um, you just didn't feel guilty. Anymore. I just didn't feel guilty anymore, which kind of like sucked some of the fun out of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I've since had to like get into yeah, You know, I'm done. I gave it up. <laughs> it's, it's not fun if you can. Right. If I can do it, it's not as much fun. Now I have to pay people to like yell at me and stuff. It's the worst. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Stop me if I'm if I'm hitting a line, you guys. But uh, no, not yet. <laughs> so I was I, I, I came out into the world. And I, I decided I wasn't going to do that thing. I, I left Mormonism over like it took me about seven years because I, I joined the LDS church for a while because I needed a diet cult. Kind of like got myself weaned off. And then I left entirely in like 2015. And then I started comedy. And when I started doing comedy, I thought there was something really funny about me. Because um, in the Book of Mormon, King Benjamin, he's famous for doing basically one thing, right? He builds a tower. And then he preaches on the tower so powerfully that everyone is converted, which is not what I'm doing as a comedian. You don't have a tower? But it's kind of what I'm doing. Dude, I actually okay, do. Wait, that's where you went wrong. You don't have a tower. I literally actually do have a tower. I live in a four-story townhouse that has a rooftop balcony. Okay, it's that's pretty good. literally <laughs> a tower. So I have this tower. I'm doing stand-up. I think it's kind of funny that I'm, like, doing some, like, I'm professing, right? I'm out there. I'm like prophesying sort of like uh, on, in my show on Saturday I looked in I looked at a seer stone in a hat um, it's but a bi- it's, it's a big seer stone it was a big seer stone it was way bigger than Joseph Smith's yeah. Joseph Smith's seer stone is like this my seer stone is like that and for those of you who are listening that's a difference of like three inches so mine is w- and way there, girthier <laughs> yeah there was some jokes that was 
not hitting them, but they came out. Look at the stones on him. <laughs> <laughs> There's Steve. I said it. Uh, oh, your mom's going to love this. I oh love boy. it. She's a, she, his mom's our one listener. Sweet. Hi, yeah. hi, Steve's mom. Hey, what's up? How are How's you it, doing, Benjamin? I'm That's excited to be your son's super rad. He's got funny jokes <laughs> and a cool chocolate shop. Thanks for having him. Yeah. Okay, rock on. That works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of why the Fresh King. And so the Fresh part that is like, um, I didn't do a lot on the compound. Obviously, there weren't like TV shows or music or anything like that. So I'm like rediscovering all of that now as a 30 year old man. Um, so like, I listened to Nirvana for the first time like six months ago. It was rad. Yeah. Teenage Dream is, or Teenage Spirit is like an insane song. Like it's so good. And um, so I'm just kind of like out here doing things, like experiencing life in kind of a fresh way. Okay. So did you actually live in a compound? I lived on a compound. So I lived on a tiny little ranch outside of a little tiny town in Lovell, like called Lovell, Wyoming. And um, my family's actually been Mormon for like 200 years. So they were like, my ancestor, Ebenezer Brown, he was like an OG. He got baptized in like New York in 1835. And then he came to Kirtland and then he came to Missouri and then he came to Illinois and then he came to Utah. And when he was in Utah, he got like three or four wives, but he was LDS. And then like his, his son had like three or four wives and like 18 kids. And then like, as long as the, the LDS Mormons were practicing polygamy, my family was as well. And then when they stopped doing polygamy secretly, well, they were like, hush, hush, we're going to stop polygamy, wink, wink, in order to become a state in like the 1890s. Uh, they, my family stopped doing it as well. They were like, okay, we're going to be, we're going to follow the prophet because that's what you do. And um, they did that up until my, my parents' generation. So my parents were actually born and raised LDS, but they uh, essentially had a faith crisis, right? They, they learned that parts of the LDS church were not, the way that, that things had changed, right? Like if you look at the LDS church today, whether you believe or not, it's nothing like the thing that Joseph Smith made. Like Joseph Smith made like a frontier sex cult. He was like hardcore. He was rad. He was looking at seer stones and hats. We don't do that anymore. So uh, when that happened, they, they decided, they, they looked at that and they were like, oh, we need to go find the pure version of Mormonism. And so they sniffed around a little bit in Utah. They found something called the AUB and they were like, this is it. And so they left the LDS church and they joined the AUB, did the polygamy thing. And then at, when that happened, they kind of moved to this place. The whole town isolated them because they were, they had been, they'd grown, grown up in this town for generations. They were LDS, but then they went polygamous and there's nothing. LDS Mormons hate polygamous Mormons the same way that like a sixth grader hates a fourth grader. Like, so embarrassing, yeah. so gross. Don't remind us of what we used to be. <laughs> okay, so what was life like on the compound? Give us an, like an average day. Did you have a little box that you could do stand-up? I did not have a little box <laughs> where I could do stand-up. But there were a lot of dogs and a lot of animals. So okay. I could, like, and, and I could, so it kind of depends, right? So, so when I was really young, so, so parts of it were cool, parts of it sucked, right? So... So when I was really young, between the ages of like, I don't know, when I was born to like when I was eight, it was pretty awesome because I basically didn't go to school. I just played outside all the time. The adults were mean and angry sometimes, but there were like 15 kids 
and so it was really easy to disappear. Like it's really easy when there's a lot of kids to just not be there. And so I spent a lot of time like playing outside. I had like dinosaurs I would play with. I would like climb on rocks. I would dig caves. It was pretty rad. And then when I was eight, um, I started working in my family's bakery as like to like help out. And so from the time I was eight until I was 18, that's essentially what I did. So that part wasn't great. It turns out I learned later in life that I was labor traffic because I actually read, I, I was teaching high school. This was like three or four years ago. I was teaching high school. There's this whole thing you have to read as a high school student you have, or as a high school teacher, you have to get certified in Utah. You have to go through like this anti-trafficking training. And so I read the definition of labor trafficking and I was like, hum, that's what happened to me. <laughs> so that's a fun way to learn that you were labor trafficked like, as like a 30 year old guy. Can I, do I get, <laughs> did you get extra credit? I, <laughs> I, <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't a place for me to, to feed that. I really should have. I should have gotten bonus certified. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like an extra, an extra certification. <laughs> okay, so brushing over that. <laughs> right, skipping that part. Boring. But was, what was the role of humor on a compound yeah, in so, your religion? So there there's wasn't one. Well, so there was and there wasn't, right? So, so what I've found is... Um, the, I've always had a really strong sense of humor. I've always thought things were funny. I've always enjoyed making fun of things. And to me, making fun is actually, it's actually an expression of love. Like I can't, I can't honestly make fun of something unless I really love that thing or that person, right? So I love making fun of Mormons because they're so easy to make fun of. I am one. And it's because I love them, right? Those are my people. Like I get them. And, and so I, very early on, I was ma I would make jokes about things, especially religious things, and that was not okay, right? So, so that was really frowned upon. I got in trouble quite a lot. I was called s some mean names. Um, I was told not to engage in loud laughter, like loud laughter was a sin. Um, and so there was a lot, and that was kind of pretty common on a lot of things, right? That there were sort of, there were sort of these natural ways that my soul kind of wanted to express that were, <clears throat> that were sort of. Um, they weren't welcome, right? And they weren't welcome because they didn't line up with this way that you were supposed to be, right? So you're supposed to be a certain thing. You're supposed to be righteous. That looks a certain way. You know, you, you're supposed to act a certain way. You're not supposed to do these hyper, like hyper specific, but ultimately meaning, meaningless things like not drink coffee, right? Like there's no, not drinking coffee has no moral weight at all. Like it does not in any way make you a better person if you don't drink coffee. But when you fixate on those, it's more about following the line, right? It's more about being a, being a clone to everyone else. And so I felt that tension quite a lot growing up that there was this, um, there was a sense of my, my authentic expression as a human isn't really welcome or wanted here. What's wanted is for me to kind of toe the line and get into like to follow the, the path, right? And so I tried to for a long time. Like I was, when I, when I left, to come out to, to preach the gospel to you, to you lot, I was pretty adamant. Like I was pretty into it. I was like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the righteous thing. And I'm going to bring people to the true gospel of the apostolic United brethren in Utah. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop Hud. Thank you, Bishop Hud. And what's kind of funny is that, um, I haven't done that, but what I was, but, but I have sort of united all of Mormonism under the banner of, 
it's made up. And so I tell people that I'm the I'm the true prophet of Mormonism because I'm the only prophet that will tell you the truth, which is that Mormonism is made up. And I also have a golden plate. And have, a seer you, stone. have you had that appraised? I have not, but I have looked at it through a seer stone and translated some of it into a book. Cool. Yeah, it was how pretty. Many, how many pages? Uh, it's about you know thirty five so far. Um, but I'm really shooting for Joseph Smith's record. I think that I can probably, you know, there's like a certain amount of time that he had, right? So I think that I can probably beat him. I'm just trying to basically do what Joseph Smith did. Do you have like a word count competition per day? Uh, yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, how many, how many, how many uh, words can I channel through the seer stone? It gets a little bit, you know, uncomfortable because I'm always like looking down into this hat. My eyes get a little bit bloodshot. But, um, you know, it works. <laughs> it, it turns out well. I think it's probably going to be a major world religion someday. <laughs> <laughs> this has just gone way south. <laughs> Thinking of crazy ass religions. Okay. Yeah. There was a, a unicorn lady up in Ogden. Did Hell she, yeah. She like, she's the queen unicorn for her religion. Blah, Hell blah, blah. Yeah. You, you guys should probably team up. I should team up with her. I actually love religion. I love belief now, I, but but I'm, I'm sort of on the far end of it where I think, I think that believing, I think belief is a profoundly human thing, right? Like humans have been believing in things that we can't see for literally hundreds of thousands of years. And I think that sometimes, so I think that that's actually like a very healthy part of our, of our psyche um, as long as we understand how it functions and, and that we are the owners of that, right? That I own my belief and you own your belief. Because I think what happens, I think where we get in trouble with organized religion sometimes is that they come in and they say, hey, this thing that's true inside of you, which is divinity or, or whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever that sort of thing that's got the, the, the eternal spark that's inside of all of us, they say, we own that. We own that, and you can only access that through us, and only if you pay us money, and only if you wear our funny clothes. One minute a day. One minute a day, right? Rather than just saying, hey, this is a part of your soul that, that wants to be expressed as a human. And so express that however you want, right? So um, I would love to hang out with Unicorn Lady, because I don't think unicorns are true, but they're fun to believe in. Oh, she was true. Oh, 100%. Yeah, she is the one true unicorn religion. I once met a lady... Um, who uh, is from Saturn. And okay, yeah. Yeah. You, so, and, <laughs> and she, she only eats air. And for about five seconds, she, well, it was more like five minutes, I'll be honest. For about five minutes, she had me convinced that I could only eat air too. <laughs> and for five minutes, that's all I did eat was just air and light, and I was great. So, But on that sixth minute... That sixth minute, I started to get, like, super hungry. <laughs> I like, was like, somebody make me a flapjack. <laughs> like, is there uh, somebody from Mars? <laughs> yes, can I get a Mars person here with a candy bar? Anybody? anybody? Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, I don't want to bring up trauma, but... Sweet, let's do it. But, okay, so you came from a polygamous family. Mm-hmm. How many wives were in this family? My dad had three wives, but he really only had two. So he had one wife for a little bit, but she, he had her for like a year, but then she bailed. So which was the coolest wife to you? Uh, definitely my mom, for okay. sure. Yeah. My, I, don't, I don't really like my other mom. She's kind of a, she's kind of a bitch. Did, oh, actually, did they 
treat their biological child differently? And that's that's why, right? So so what happens in 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 family systems like polygamy is that there is there's there's a competition for the man's attention, right? For the man's attention, for the man's affection, for the man's resources. And and because of that, because there's because there's only one dude, right? So and it's just built into the dynamic. If you have one dude and multiple women, those women are all going to want time and attention and resources from him, right? He can't give all of them all of that all of the time, so he has to dole it out. And so there's sort of this competition that that happens amongst polygamist wives. I don't even think that it's necessarily conscious or intentional. It's just it just happens, right? Because you you want the attention. Like when you marry somebody, usually you want their attention. Right? Man, this okay. I know they've made TV shows, but I'm still seeing a sitcom where you can you can mentor a, some some future kid and say, "Here's how you can win attention," and then teach them comedy routines. Oh hell yeah! Like for the compound. That's probably why where I where that's family home even. That's, that's probably why I'm funny. Evening. Is that I was like, "Hey, I want I know how I can get attention," <laughs> right? I know. So so the the dynamic among among wives and then children is that often what will happen is that there will be jealousy among wives, but that's considered inappropriate, right? So expressing that jealousy is like that's a no no. That's like we're here to be tested against that, so you're, you're, you have to overcome that. And so the way that that, so that doesn't get, because humans emo, human emotions don't get overcome, right? Emotions always express. And so that jealousy just doesn't get expressed onto the, the other wife. It gets diverted and projected down onto the children. So, so my experience of my other mom was that she was pretty cruel to me for a lot of my growing up years because I was my mom's oldest. And so I kind of took the brunt of that. Talking about trauma. <laughs> it's like having an evil stepmother <laughs> who's married to your dad, but your mom is still alive. Once you, you made the decision to leave, do you have any interaction with anybody? Um, it's sort of been hit or miss. So when I first left, uh, it was very much no contact. They told me, they were like, you're going to hell. You're going to be buffeted by the winds of Satan for your entire life, which has been true. Um, Satan has been blowing me like nobody's business. <laughs> like just blowing on me that all the time person is, crazy. <laughs> is, Just, he, is he any good though he's very good yeah <laughs> he has really excellent technique eye contact eye contact, eye contact. he kind of like wraps you up tight in your tail so you feel like secure and a little bit dangerous it's very nice he's satan's a daddy it's great um yeah so there was there was a there was a pretty significant um there was a pretty significant barrier there um and part of that too was that i was lds and and they were aub right so we were in kind of warring versions of the same cult and that's not a great way to have a happy relationship with your family is to be in the opposite version of whatever worldview that they're in um when i left mormonism i started uh i went on basically a healing journey like i left mormonism and i had to kind of come to terms with the fact that the whole world that i'd been raised in was was a lie that I was had been actually pretty significantly traumatized and, and abused in that in that world. And so I uh, I got myself a cool therapist. In fact, you guys want to see a, a picture so you can get a sense of. Uh, oh, he's pulling out his flip flip phone. Yes. Oh, no, it's not a flip phone. So this this is me. Like pre therapy and post therapy. 
You're smiling. I'm well. I'm <laughs> I'm smiling gently, and I don't look like I'm I don't look like, like I'm dying, right? So I had all of this kind of stuff locked up in my body. I was really um, I was really dissociated a lot, and and so I went on a like I hired myself a really great therapist. We did a lot of work together, and and as a result, and that's still kind of part of the journey that I'm on, right? Because you never like you're always healing, but um, as I left that, I started to feel a kind of a desire to reconnect with my family. Like I want, cause you're, you only have one family, you know, like, and ultimately you don't choose them. You're just stuck with them. You're just kind of stuck with them. And also they, they aren't going anywhere, right? Like there's the, and I got to a point where I learned, I sort of realized that I'd done all of the healing that I could do outside of my family, that if there was going to be any more healing for me, it had to ha- happen in the context of the family dynamic in which I was, I had to heal those relationships. Right. So that's been a journey that I've been on for the past um, like three years probably. And what that has sort of looked like are periods of reconnection po- followed by periods of boundaries and distance, right? So I'm, I'm finding that I really have to, having done a lot of healing myself, I'm really having to coach my family because no one's ever done therapy for my dad, right? Nobody's ever cared about how my dad feels or my mom, like there's just not, it's not a gentle world, right? It's not a world where they are aware of people's emotional states and are, you know, like are involved in that. And so what I've found is that I, I can sort of kind of come back to my family, reconnect with them in, in the right, in the right dosage. But then also sometimes I need to put up boundaries. So I recently had a, a, a conversation with my dad where I told him, he, he expressed some interest in kind of coming back and reconnecting with me. I was very open to that because I, I, you want to have a dad, right? Like dads are nice. I imagine (laughs) (laughs) if they're like healthy and, 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 and they show up for you. And so I, I sort of invited him back into my life for a little bit. I kind of played with that, saw how that felt. And after about a year of that, I, I told him, I was like, Hey, I, I need you to go do some work on yourself. If you're going to actually be in relationship with me, because the way that you're showing up is, is triggering old patterns and I need you to show up better. So I, I handed him a book and I told him to go hire a therapist and then we could talk in a year, which he then texted me like the next day and he was like, I hired a therapist. So uh, I don't know what that's going to do to his brain, but I hope that it's positive and that we can, we can reconnect. But I think that's a huge step for you to even make this, the statement of nobody's helped him or, or your mm-hmm. mom. And it, it's it's not excusing them, but it's uh, it's it's understanding. It's, yeah. Right. It wasn't showing empathy. It, it, it wasn't personal. Right. Like there were there were. That's why I like kind of leading with the fact that my family's been Mormon for 200 years, because that's a that's a traumatic experience. Right. Being Mormon has been a traumatic experience for a lot of Mormons. Like if you just imagine like in imagine leaving basically America, like Mormons in the 1850s left America, went out thousands of miles into the desert to survive in the harshest and like a super harsh environment because they didn't feel safe in the world that they were in, right? Because they were vulnerable or whatever, whatever was going on there, right? That's a lot of trauma, right? That's generational patterns of neglect, of of abuse, of all of that sort of compounding. And so in no way, and it took a while for me to get there, right? It took a while and some psychedelics <laughs> to realize that um, 
that everything that my parents did to me, while there were parts of it that were wrong and that I have, I have had to say, what you did to me wasn't okay, right? The way that you treated me was not okay. And I recognize that it's not personal, right? You didn't, you didn't, they didn't want to abuse me. They didn't want to labor traffic me. They just live in a world where children are assets. And when children are assets, you can do kind of whatever the fuck you want to them because they're there to help you. God sent them to your family to build up your kingdom. So of course you're going to do stuff with them, right? That's how you show love, right? So in a weird way, and again, this is part of sort of the messiness of unpacking, you know, healthy relationships with your parents as as an adult is that a lot of the things that were abusive and, and problematic about your childhood or my childhood at least are coming from a place of the intention there was to love and care for me. So it's kind of, it's a little bit funky to, to sort of sort that out of like, how do we, how do we, can we build on the love and intention and the care and also acknowledge some of the hurt so that that can heal? And then can we just build this love and care thing? That's essentially kind of what I'm trying to do with my dad is I'm trying to give him another way to love me rather than the religious way. Because the only way that he knows how to love me is to get me into the celestial kingdom, which cannot happen. Like I have, I have fucked too many bitches. <laughs> and not in like the consent like not in like the the way where you do it when you're married to him so it's okay like i have i've have fornicated a lot and so i can't get into heaven so now i have to give him another channel for him to show his love for me or because he loves me right he that energy's there and i think that that i think that there are a lot of i think there are a lot of people who are in the in the ex-mormon space or sort of like moving out of not just not just Mormonism, but any really high demand religion, where you have to, you have there. It's not even a have to. I think there's an opportunity to reconnect or to try to reconnect in healthy ways with the people that we left behind, and to give them another way for them to love us, right? Because we that's all we really want as humans is to love people. Like to love our family, to love and to eat chocolate and maybe to slap some people who are assholes. <laughs> but I think actually that uh, that theory is is pretty valuable. Like right, I think that's missing right now in, in our society. Like when you look at the whole cancel culture, mm-hmm. uh, all it's doing is it's just saying, nope, I'm not going to. And that's not healthy. Right. Like, it's ghosting people. Yep. And the, for eternity. Yep. And, and I think that, you know, the. The, the long term of that is bad. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no good that's going to come of that. But if if they can kind of sort exactly what you just said and have boundaries, but find some good, I mean that's the way to a better future. I for think. all of us, right? Because yeah. the, and this is what I think about a lot in Utah, right? Because I I I like Utah. I think Utah's a, a cool place to be right now. There's a lot happening, and there's we're sort of in this really interesting vortex of there's a there's a there's an, a large and growing ex-Mormon community of people who yeah. are pissed like they are angry they are hurt and then you have a large community of of actively believing Mormons and that's not mm-hmm. just LDS people right there are polygamists there are other sects there are sects that are not polygamous but claim to be like I don't know if you guys have heard of Denver snuffer but that dude has seen Jesus and uh, much like my person was from Saturn <laughs> right so there's 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 people who actively believe and then there's people who have never been Mormon 
And so all three of those groups of people exist here in Utah, and we're all in kind of our own little silos, right? The ex-Mormons talk to the ex-Mormons, and the active Mormons talk to the active Mormons, and the never-Mormons, they talk amongst each other themselves, and they're like, what the fuck is soaking? Why can't I buy decent alcohol in this state? Why are there so many sugar shops and no coffee shops, right? And I think as a community in Utah, especially given the last three years and the projected future of the apocalypse, we have to, we have to come together, right? Like we have to acknowledge that we're all here and we all deserve to be here. We all belong here. And I want all of us here, but I also want all of us to be able to be here in a way that allows us to show up as who we really are. So I want, so I'm going to show up and I'm going to say, fuck. I'm going to be I'm going to be my dirty self and I think that the active Mormons should be able to show up and like do their conference thing and like be in this space but we all get to be here. Right? We all get to be here and I think that's going to require a lot of vulnerability on the part of everyone in Utah cuz you got to kind of like admit that you do like people and that you do want connections with other humans and it's going to require a lot of of courage to actually stand up and be seen for who you are. Because I think a lot of people are afraid to be seen for who they really are because they feel like th they've been programmed that it's some version of bad, and it's not. It's just you. It's just your natural self-expression. Just be whoever you are, and that's what we want. I love that. I, I think that's amazing. That's why I'm the true prophet. Okay. Well, I mean, I might sign up. It's, but it's hey, really hey, cheap. You only have to pay $6.66 a month. Uh, that's a little steep. A little steep for you, man. Yeah. You're you place a a high, a low value on your eternal salvation, Steve. Well, you know, that, that's you more know. than the ten percent he was paying before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a lot. More this than chocolate the shop is not doing well. <laughs> that's a lot more than the ten percent. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's um, I I I think that we have a really beautiful opportunity in Utah right now to. To, to open our hearts to other people and to welcome them into our space and then to show up in their space as ourselves. And I think that if we can do that in a way that's loving and kind and that also stands up, like that's why I, in, the, in the show on Saturday, I always ask if there are any active Mormons in the crowd. There have so far never been. I, I'm exclusively Exmo and Nevermo, which makes sense because I'm, I'm, that's very much my comedy style. But I, I want them there in my shows. Right, because I want them to know that they're safe with me. I want them to know that even though I'm making fun, even though we're we're kind of like we're kind of like uh, we're taking the piss a little bit, like we're kind of making fun of you. Because let's face it, Mormonism is a weird religion. Like it started because a dude looked in a hat. Like that's you cannot expect us to not make fun of that. It's like the perfect thing to do. And I want them to to recognize that that's coming from a place of I see you and I want you here. Right? I don't want you to get I don't want them to get out of Utah. I want them to be here and be their beautiful expressive selves and I want them to let us be our beautiful expressive selves and then I want our realities to bump into each other so that we have to negotiate how to be in community with each other. I love that. That that is community. That is community. It's, it's like having all the differences and but the respect that all of them are valued. Right. All of them are valued and all of them deserve to be here and to be seen. Right. Yeah. That everyone gets to be seen for who they are and not shunned because of who they are. That's something I experienced growing up that was pretty that was pretty painful from the broader community. And it actually helped reinforce the narrative that I was fed by the cult 
which is that they were that the outside world was wicked right and so when 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 you're fed that narrative and then you're you show up with people and they aren't open and welcoming they actually do kind of shun you because you look a little bit weird and you're doing that weird polygamy thing and we think that's gross and stop embarrassing us in front of the nation then it it just it it facilitates more isolation and when when isolation is happening and this is what's happening in utah right now when isolation happens abuse happens especially abuse of children right because you have you have literally thousands of children in utah who are currently being labor trafficked by polygamous groups and other groups just because they're so isolated in their communities that there's no, like nobody's checking on that. Like nobody's watching that. So like, I don't know the, the number, but a huge portion of all of the framing companies in Utah are polygamist. A big chunk of those are using child labor. And like that, we, if we aren't open, there are real consequences to real people if we don't have this openness and this connection as a community. And, um, and those, those are people that are often voiceless, right? And that's part of why, that's part of what's sort of motivating me in comedy too, is I wanna, I have, I, that is my background, so I have the right to say that, I have that, that's my voice. And so I want people to know, hey, like this is a real thing that's happening. And it, why is it happening? It's happening because we don't, we, we haven't figured out yet how to be in community with people who believe things that are different than us. And until we figure that out, we will not be able to to fully care for our, the, our community the way that we need to. And that's that's evolving out into politics too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's much more one or the other. Yeah. These days. With, with yeah, politics. which is wild because like when when I talk to most people, we agree on most things, right? Like we, we can want find common ground. We can find common ground, right? Even on like really charged issues like abortion, right? Like. Most people, if we just kind of get rid of the, the big thing, like the big tagline, abortion, blah, 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 and we just talk about, well, do we believe that children should be cared for? Yeah, of course we all believe that children should be cared for. Okay, can we recognize that, that not having adequate health care for women, not allowing women to make decisions about their, their when they have children, that that sometimes results in negative outcomes for children right and so we start to be able to have conversations i think that we are actually as i think that as americans we are way more united than we are divided i think that the people in power use they create they foment division to keep us at each other's throats so that they can maintain their power and they can suck us dry and uh fie upon that i say From your balcony on from the fourth, my balcony, fourth from my floor. tower, I proclaim the evils of that. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> well, let's talk about a slightly the lighter, um, or way lighter, uh, community experience. You went to Burning Man. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how was that? I've my, been to Burning Man twice now. My wife's cousin goes quite often. So, oh my! You God, say that that's lighter. That may not be lighter. That actually could be just as <laughs> that could just be as just dark. as dark and scary. That's no, why for, I wavered for, for, second there. <laughs> for me, it was it was definitely brighter. So, um, so yeah, I went to Burning Man th- for the first time last year, and then I went again this year. So, uh, last year was a, apparently the hardest year that Burning Man has ever had until this year. This year, it was like I, it turns out this wasn't true, but 
some people thought that there was a national because it rained out there so we all got stranded and w everyone was freaking out like there's a national emergency some people thought there was ebola there was just a bunch of rich white people who were in danger of running out of drugs okay. so i'm just kidding there are no drugs at burning man <laughs> well they were wet they were wet drugs right. <laughs> they were wet drugs it was hard to light <laughs> they some were of that stuff kind of watered down um so what I what I love about Burning Man, and it, this is kind of going back to that self-expression, right? Like the experience that I had in Mormonism, and I don't want to—I don't want to assume that everyone had this experience, but the experience that I had in Mormonism was a an experience of profound repression of who I really was, right? That I was—I was told from a very young age that there were that who I naturally was, right? The natural man is an enemy to God. That's a scripture that's in the Book of Mormon. It's actually something that King Benjamin says. So I I'm, would like to go on record as the true King, King Benjamin to say that that is bullshit. Because what that does is it tells you your natural self-expression is dangerous and potentially sinful and bad. Okay, you could get some t-shirts made with that and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then just say, just kidding. That like I mean, so, I mean you, could, you could just... I love that. I'll write that down. Marketing that'll, that'll opportunity. Part of my part of my merch. Yeah, but, that's what I'm talking about. But what I love about what I love about Burning Man is that Burning Man is a it is the it is the most expressive place that I've ever found. Right? Where you just have all of this opportunity to express whatever like whatever is inside of you that wants to come out, it can come out at Burning Man. And it can you can it, you can do it in art. You can do it in performance. You can do it in just like there's just this freedom of expression that's available out there that is pretty magic. Okay, but you said, yeah, what comes in comes out at Burning Man. That's what I fear. So you know, I fear, <laughs> I fear the porta potties. Hundred percent. And, and Those are I, I fear the camping experience. <laughs> I fear there's a lot of dust. Yeah. At, at a lot of like dirt. 100% there is all of that. There's so the solution for me was grow up on a compound. Well, yeah, that was like total training for I, you. I, I, this I, was I showed him. up there and I was like, this is exactly what I have been preparing for my entire life. But but it is it is challenging for sure. It's the most like I've done. I've done a fair amount of, of backpacking. I've been in I, and I obviously I grew up in the outdoors. Right. But um, it's it's easily the most challenging climate that I've ever experienced to survive in, which is part of what makes it kind of fun, right? Is that we're sort of, it's like a big, it's like a big playground. And if there's no, if there's, if playgrounds aren't a little bit dangerous, they're kind of boring. So there is a little, there's like dust. There's like, you gotta be, you gotta be hydrated. The porter potties get a little bit crazy sometimes, but you've got to sort of navigate that. And if you can, then you can play in some really fun ways. Was there a big metal slide? There was there was actually a big metal slide. <laughs> there was a big metal slide. There was a tower. There was like a tower of like uh, of nine or ten high of scaffolding that they just built and like secured down with with ledges, and you could just climb it. Again, a tower. <laughs> I, I, there's a theme. <laughs> there's a theme for me. Um, yeah, and then at the end of it, there's there's two really cool things that happen at Burning Man, right? So number one is that they burn the man. So they have this big, giant idol of a man. I'm running away for a second. I'm coming right back. Okay, I'll miss you. Continue. Okay, we will. Yeah. So there's there's this big there's this big 
uh, wooden tower of a man or wooden statue of a man, right? Which is just, cla it's like an idol, right? It's like, it feels like Babylon, like the thing we were warned about in, in Sunday school. That's what Burning Man is. But, and then there's a temple, right? And the temple is this really beautiful structure uh, where people can go in and like, there you can write on the walls, you can leave um, things in the temple. Like people will leave um, portraits of people who have passed away. They'll leave, I've left, like I left some old journals that were from a, a time in my life that were was kind of funky and nasty. I was sort of ready to let that go. And so I left it there to burn. Um, I saw this one, this one woman had taken her baptismal dress. She was Mormon. She'd taken her baptismal dress and written on it in Sharpie a lot of the, a lot of the beliefs that she'd gained from Mormonism that she felt were harmful to her. So she wrote them on this dress and then she left it there in the, in the temple. And so there's two things that happen, right? On, on the second to last night of Burning Man, they burn the man down. And that is like a wild bacchanalia. Like everybody get, comes out. We're, we're all in these art cars. We have all this rad music. We all get dressed up and we just have this wild rager party. It's insane and crazy. And what's fun about it is it's this, it's this full expression. Like whatever's inside of you, any kind of emotion that you want to express, you can express it there. Like at one point I'm walking around just like growling, like raw, I'm yelling, I'm screaming, right? There's this real cathartic human release, which I think... Having now done that a couple of times, I think that's I think that's a healthy thing for humans to do. I think that we are so we sort of hold a lot in 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 America, especially yeah. we don't we don't let that energy move through us, and so that's a cool night because you can kind of let that energy move through, and then then you're kind of empty, right? You kind of like it's moved it's moved past, and then you can kind of come back and be normal. And then the night after that, they burn the temple down. And the temple burn is the total opposite. So there'll be, everyone's totally quiet. We all gather around it again and we burn this structure down. And we're just sort of honoring, silently honoring all of the, just all of the humanity that's in that temple, right? All of the grief, all of the longing, all of the hope, all of the fear, like everything that got put in there. And then that burns down. And there's something really, like I tell people that, that Burning Man was, Burning Man was the religion that I wanted Mormonism to be because I wanted to have cool, like moving spiritual experiences in Mormonism. And I never really did. It was all pretty, it was all pretty boring. It was all pretty, um, which is not to take away from anyone who's had great spiritual experiences in Mormonism. I high five you, but, but for me it was very, um, felt very stale. It felt very kind of dry and, and so there's something really cool about burning man. There's something cool about the act of burning something, right? And I think that humans, I think humans have been burning idols in the desert for probably hundreds of thousands of years. It feels, you go there and it feels ancient, right? It feels like, oh, this is how we are. This is how we used to be as humans. And there's something about, like, if, you, if I burn something, right, it's gone. So this stuff that I, like, I took a couple of journals, right? I burned them. Right. They were from a, a time in my life that I sometimes like to sort of look back on and kind of like, do you ever like look back at certain hard times in your life and, and you, you're like, oh, my life was so hard. You kind of like throw yourself a little pity party and it's yeah. like kind of like a little like trauma porn. Um, I can't do that now. Right. Because that I burned that thing. It's it's physically gone. I could not get it back if I wanted to. They are gone. And there's something kind of cool about that psychologically because now if I'm tempted to go down that path 
of, oh, poor me, this thing happened, and oh, it was so sad, which is a very normal human reaction. I can just kind of pop in and say, oh, now actually I burned that. Like, that's gone. I burned it. It's, it's been transformed into something new. And now that energy is available for, for me to do something else, which is what I want, right? Because I don't want to be constantly hung up on what happened. I want to be engaged in what's happening. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I always feel like, like what I hear about it, it's a, a very healing experience and just, you know, m much like doing mushrooms, it, it helps you see things about yourself that totally. you wouldn't otherwise. It's like, a, it's like I, would, uh, I would liken it to like climbing up like summoning a mountain, right? You get up on top of a mountain and you look down and you're like, I see it. Right. You get you get away from life a little bit so you can kind of get perspective. And that's what the that's what Burning Man feels like to me. In fact, as the one true prophet of Mormonism, I'm very excited to I want to I want to do an ex-Mormon themed camp at Burning Man where I get a bunch of ex-Mormons to go out and build a temple together in at Burning Man. We'll do ceremonies for people. We'll baptize them if they want to be. We'll make like little jello shots and put them in sacrament cup holders and just like go around and like serve the sacrament to people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Because uh, I actually think that like there's a little bit of that that's like sort of a joke, but also, um, also, I think that there's, I think that there's power in communal healing, right? That it actually would be kind of powerful for people who have uh, a background in Mormonism where they don't want to be Mormon anymore, but there's a little bit of trauma there to get together with other people who are in that boat and then to create something, to like make art with it. And then to, I want to build a temple. I want to like do some cool shit in that. I maybe do like some musicals because um, Mormons are good at musicals because we're super gay. And, <laughs> uh, and then like burn that thing down. Because I think that that would be a really, I think that'd be a powerful experience. So if you're an ex-Mormon and you want to get in on my, um, on my Burning Man cult, you just have to join my cult. And if you have the little sacrament tray. Yeah, if anyone has a sacrament tray, please bring them. I did not take them with me when I left. <laughs> if you have access. Yeah, if you have access to that, if there's a Bishop HUD on the line who could hook me up <laughs> <laughs> with some free housing and <laughs> and some oh sacrament trays. <laughs> the jello from the Bishop storehouse, too. Oh, a hun oh, my God. Oh, my oh. God. I didn't even see that jello shots. Of course, <laughs> if there's one thing that Mormons are good at, it's jello. <laughs> why isn't there a jello shop in utah that's wild to me we have cookie shops we have chocolate shops we have soda shops we have uh cereal shops have you heard of this oh yeah right so we have all of these sugary shops there are no jello shops that feels that feels like a place that has not been tapped that's opportunity for you i know molly mormon's jello shop yeah that molly's jello there we go, we go. just spitting out <laughs> ideas on the business podcast don't write that down molly mormon that's mine <laughs> unless you do it <laughs> actually uh noah stripper and she goes by molly oh i think there. i follow her on instagram yeah i, I think that's hilarious <laughs> does she does she have pasties that are well maybe i won't say that i don't want to get too i think it would be funny to do pasties in the shape of like the garment stuff <laughs> <laughs> Yerman Thumman. Uh, totally. Oh my God, Searstone pasties. Yes. <laughs> obviously, with, open to it. Obviously, with my Searstone, because so. it's uh, it's the best. It's the biggest. 
I have seen a couple of black seer stones that were a little bit bigger, but, um, you know. <laughs> Teach their own. <laughs> Teach their own. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and, you know, your education of things like this, you go to TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. What, what is the community like there with that? Um, what's the, sorry, what's the question again? The, the community, you know, building around you know, TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. So, through there. um, yeah. So I, I, I do, I do quite a lot of stuff on tip on TikTok. Yeah. Um, what's your handle? Well, I'm the fresh King Benjamin. Okay. On TikTok on, and on Instagram and on YouTube. I just, the set that we, I did on Saturday night, I just posted that on YouTube. It's pretty great. Um, I had a buddy come and film it for me. Your MySpace? On my MySpace. Hell yeah. <laughs> MySpace uh, is coming back. MySpace is, uh, that would be, that would be full circle, if we all like watch the apocalypse play out on MySpace. Maybe Tom will join. <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! If I, Tom, if you're listening, please join. Um, so what? What? What I'm finding is that I want to build community in sort of two ways, right? I want to build community by sort of being a voice for the unspoken in Mormonism, and so for me, what that looks like is that's that's trauma, that's abuse, that's anger. That's all of the different parts of the human expression that want to that are sort of told, hey, don't right, because we're very we're we're very focused on image here in Utah, right? We care a lot about what things look like. And so we've sort of we've we've sort of tabled a lot of those discussions. And there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma in the Mormon world. There's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of sadness. And so I want to be able to build community around expressing that and like acknowledging and validating that pain. And then I want to turn it into fun, right? I want to turn it into comedy because let, once we've acknowledged that it's painful, then let's find something funny about it. And then I want to turn that into just a, an authentic expression of who we are, right? So I think that, I think that, that people who leave, I think people who leave high demand religions and then go on whatever kind of journey they go on to find themselves are some of the most beautifully expressive humans that I've ever met. And there's something really cool about sort of finding yourself later in life because we all have to, right? Everyone has to go on a journey to find who they really are and to find the courage to really express that. And when you grow up in Mormonism, you kind of have this like, like this fast forwarded approach where you sort of learn in your 20s or maybe in your 30s or maybe even later that the world was not the way that you thought it was. And then that you weren't the way that you thought you were. And then that can be disconcerting, that can be challenging, but it can, it's also a really lovely opportunity to be who you really are. Like, what is it that wants to express? Like, come out and, come out and play with us. Hmm. I love that. No. Uh, who inspires you? Um, I'm really inspired by... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm really inspired by <laughs> this is going to be funny <laughs> but it's also true. Um I'm really inspired by everyone who soaks. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I I talk a lot about I talk a little bit about soaking in my comedy I talk about uh, there's some sex stuff, right? Because one of the things that Mormonism is kind of funny about is sex. And uh what happens when I talk about sex on stage is that I get people coming up to me afterwards and and confessing things that they've done, uh, which is great. 
because I've just heard some amazing <laughs> stuff. And that's actually really inspiring to me because I think that I'm inspired by by human expression that will that will express regardless of the oppressive systems that are keeping it down. Right? So there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of of systemic oppression of sexuality in Mormonism, but we still soak. We still do crazy things. And I think that's a real lovely testament to the human um, to the human spirit, right? The human capacity to express. Um, I'm really inspired by, um, I'm actually really inspired by a guy named uh, Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr is a, he's a, a Catholic Franciscan monk. And he, um, he's very Christian, but he's very Christian in a different way than I've ever encountered where he's a, what's, he calls himself a Christian mystic. And essentially what that means to him is that he feels like there's a mystery at the heart of our existence. There's something about our existence that is mysterious that we don't understand. And he's chosen to engage with that mystery through the lens of Christianity, which I think is really inspiring because I think that, I think that we are religious creatures. Like we are believing mythical like, we live in made-up stories. That's what we do all the time. And so I'm, I'm inspired by people who can do that in a way that feels honest and also powerful. So those are a couple of, couple of the things that inspire me. And then also um, uh, TikTok and YouTube. That's just the a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's totally a, a disaster. And if you want to see an actual portrayal of soaking, watch that Amazon show. I uh, did. Um, the jury, the jury, jury duty. duty. Yeah. 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 I love that. <laughs> there was some jump humping in there too. Yeah. The jump humping, that was the thing that I, I believed. So as soon as I heard soaking, I was like, cause some people question whether that's a real thing. It a hundred percent is, but some people are like, no, that's just a myth. As soon as I heard about soaking, I was like that, is totally a re- that's totally a real thing. But then I thought that I invented... So- but then I was like, I'll bet it would be funny if people jumped on the bed while other people are soaking, and we could call it jump pumping. And so then I started talking about that, and then I had a dude come up to me after a show, and he told me, he was like, dude, I've been jump pumped. Like, he was at BYU. His girlfriend called him over to soak. <laughs> and then she asked her roommate to throw a mattress on top of them and then the roommate like jumped on the mattress which is kinky that's a nice so it's a sandwich jump pump it's a sandwich jump pump yeah it's a mattress sandwich jump pump which is the most advanced level of (laughs) jump pump like you don't want to pull that out on your first date that's like a third date move i was always i've always been curious about the conversation for the third person oh totally no you ask your friend no you ask your friend Right, and when do you do it? Like, do you do it before the date? Like, if you're if you're gonna ask someone out on a date, do you just call up Brad and you're like, "Hey, Brad." Um, well, Brad doesn't ever do anything, so you owe me something. Like, you owe me for last time. So just be on call <laughs> in case I need you. He's just sitting there eating a cereal. <laughs> <laughs> I I always like to think about the the conversation that happens right before soaking happens, and then after, like before, during, and after, because. I imagine that it's something like 
there's like, okay, we're going to do it, but we can't move. But you have to move in order to get, in order to soak, you have to move into, you have to move into it. And so, like, what happened, like, if someone sneezes, like, does that count? Is that an act of God? Like, and then what afterwards are... It's are, the same muscles. Are you... Is <laughs> someone like, you moved a little bit. Like, now we have to tell our bishop. Like, I don't... It just feels very awkward and hilarious. I wish I could, I wish I could see more of it. And, and if that sle- sneeze leads to a pregnancy, is that Jesus coming back? I think that's the second coming. I think that Jesus <laughs> is definitely coming back from a baby that happened because of a sneezing snow soaker. <laughs> oh, my God. All the hashtags for this episode are going to be so fun. Uh, oh, boy. Bishop Hub. <laughs> I am a sneeze Bishop ba- Hud. <laughs> sneeze baby. <laughs> Sne- sneeze baby. That um, that's going in my act. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that shit down. A sneezy baby is as Jesus coming back. That would be that would be the because I mean it's not sex. I gotta disappear again. I'm coming back. Bye. I'll miss you. He he runs a business. It's okay. What? He's crushing it too. Yeah, the, that five year old was badass. That five year old was rad, and he's had Joe Biden here. <laughs> but not Bishop Hud. But not get Bishop <laughs> Hud here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're my oh yeah, totally. Okay, I. This one. I don't know anything about the bracelet. We'll just wait. We'll wait till till he comes back. Yeah. The word on there is boundless. Because? Um, because I don't like uh, I don't like being constrained. I like I like to be free. I like to be able to move. That's good. Yeah, there's something about growing up in a really restrictive environment. <laughs> <laughs> Where afterwards you're just kind of like fuck rules. Um, to your family. Um. Cody Brown mm-hmm. on Sister Rives TLC. Steve had a show on TLC also. Oh, no way. But I, I just want to share an experience I had seeing him. I was at uh, Disneyland at the Haunted um, the Haunted Hotel. Uh-huh. And I saw him in line. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'll bet Disneyland as a polygamous dad sucks. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was just him and one of his wives. Uh, uh, one of the wives. And, um not any of the kids. It was oh, just, really? It was just them. Yeah. But <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Take your kids to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just like, is that? Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just a strange experience. Did you talk to him? No, because he, he was like saw. farther apart along the line on the yeah. other side. But I just recognized him. And, you know, he's got, he's got one of those faces. I get told yeah. that I look like him a lot. I get told that I sound like him a lot. And I'm like, I hope you're just talking about the tone of my voice and not what I'm saying. Because I'm trying to say different things. I wouldn't say you look alike, but there's enough, you know, looks that are similar that, like, if somebody said you were related, to be like. I think there's yeah. some mannerisms. I think the yeah. way, like, we're both we're both expressive. Like, we talk with our hands a lot, so I think that there's there's some of that. But yeah. Um, what another question I had? That's sort of an interesting. That's been kind of an yeah. interesting. Um, dynamic right because in in some ways 
you know, when, when they started that show, geez, like 15 years ago, um, kind of their intention was to take polygamy out of the shadows, right? The idea was to sort of show that it was could be mainstream, that it could be nice, that it could be okay, right? And um, And so I think in some ways... Like, in some ways, I don't really love that show because I, I think that for for part of it, they've... I, I don't think that there are very many, if any, healthy family dynamics in polygamy. I just don't think that... Like, I've never experienced them. I know, I know dozens of kids who have left polygamy and all of them experience some form of neglect and abuse. And so I don't... There's a number of shows that... It feels like sometimes they try to paint it as like, Oh, like isn't this like this fun, wholesome, like nice thing? And I don't think it is. I, I don't think I think it's I think it's a pretty toxic family system, and I think that it's actually pretty harmful to children. Not because there's anything wrong with. I don't think there's anything wrong with multiple partners. I think that that's if that's what floats your boat, go for it. But I I think that the the dynamic in polygamy is one that says we're not doing this because we want to. Right, we're, it's not a three people getting together because we're all into each other. It's God has told us that we have to do this in order to get into heaven, and that we have to have as many children as we possibly can. And that dynamic creates a lot of opportunity. Not even, definitely for some abuse. Like I know some pretty gnarly abuse stories, but also just neglect. Right, like when you have, when you have, a couple of adults, like three or four adults, and 15, 20, 30 kids. Those kids are not getting adequate care. And so, um, so in some ways, I kind of have an issue with the show just because it, I, I don't, I wish, I wish that it were more honest in, in portraying like, like, like they're, they've, they did 15 seasons of that sh- or seven, 18 seasons of that show, I think, right? They've never even touched on the fact that there's another part of that family that has been labor trafficking their children, right? That they've been working yeah. obscene hours in this bakery for years, and so it, it paints kind of this picture that's, that's a little bit inaccurate. And then it also sort of focuses everyone on the people involved rather than the system involved. So the system that's involved is a religious system that's oppressive and culty. And that's what is challenging. That's what's problematic about the, the behavior and about what's happening. But if we just think about it as like, oh, this person is engaging in bad behavior. Yeah, but why are they engaging in that bad behavior? Right? They're engaging in that bad behavior because they've been groomed their whole lives to believe that that is good behavior, right? right. And that's a, ch- that's a, that's a, I think that's a more honest approach to polygamy, but it also maybe doesn't make as great of television. Yeah, I always seemed, um, you know, as a documentary series, in quotation, mm-hmm. it, it always felt closer to big love to yeah. me than, you know, actually, you know, showing, you know, that type of life. Because it, it was always... a you know about the adults yeah yeah and there's like that's funny too because like in some in some episodes they go back to my to my family's ranch like they go back to the place where i lived and they'll i I remember watching one of those episodes and i i'm I'm just laughing because they're showing shots to make it seem like that is the ranch and it's not they like went to other places it's like our neighbor's house like they show a shot of our neighbor's house and i'm like that's not we weren't growing up in houses we were growing up in trailers Right, we were growing up in a, in a polygamous double wide, which is where you take two trailers, stick them together, knock the walls apart, and like connect them that way. So that's not. <laughs> but again, that doesn't make for great TV because that it doesn't look good. Yeah. 
Um, I'm, I think I've asked all my questions. Well, well, but, um, between um, leaving and starting the comedy, you d developed uh, a company. Uh, I did. So I, I, I helped. I helped found a, an online education company. It was called Williamsburg Learning. They partner with some charter with a charter school here in Utah called Leadership Academy of Nevada, or Leadership Academy of Utah. They partnered with one in Nevada called that too. Um, that was really, that was kind of a an like I I didn't go to high I didn't go to school <laughs> until I left and I I came out to go to college because my family they were like go out to call like go out and become a lawyer so you can come back and protect us from the government. And so I went to college. I never became a lawyer. I just went to college, um, stayed out, and then I ended up teaching online high school, which was wild because I'd never been to high school. Um, but then that the company that we started that that was back that was like 15 years ago before um, before online education was all the rage. Thanks COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a fun. It was a it was a nice way to education has always been really important to me. So it was kind of a fun way to kind of give back to kind of pay back some of the things that I'd gotten from from education and uh, and also I didn't really know what I like I didn't know that comedy was a thing until I was like 22 right because I'd never like there weren't there weren't touring stand-ups who were showing up at the, <laughs> at, the <laughs> at the at the at the bakery you it's know a lost market it really is a lost market we have a great sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> so <coughs> it kind of gave me something to do it kind of gave me an opportunity to, to sort of like develop some skills to interact with people. I, I, I think that's why I've kind of, I've kind of, I've, I've hit comedy pretty hard and, and moved pretty quickly. I started, I did my first open mic just two years ago. So in under two years, I went from open micing to headlining, which is pretty fast. And I think a big part of that was because number one, I'm blessed by God as his true prophet. And number two, uh, I did a lot of high school teaching, right? So I had kind of this opportunity to, like, I'm comfortable speaking to people doesn't doesn't phase me. I'm I'm pretty comfortable doing that, and I had kind of a lot of opportunity to practice that and to make my lessons engaging. And so the flip into comedy was was it's been challenging to figure out for sure, but it also I feel like I had I'd sort of developed that muscle a little bit already. Are you ready for bonus questions? Yeah. All right. I I've added one. Let's air them. Okay. Well, the first one is, what does creativity mean to you? Ooh, I love this question. Um, so creativity, I think, is a, is a, it's, a, it's equal parts self-expression and discipline. So in order to do something creative, I have to take this sort of unique self-expressing this thing that wants to come out of me and I have to put it into some kind of channel right I have to put it into a form I have to put it into a structure I have to put it into a bit you know and so I think that you you can't really have for most creatives I think the discipline is the part where it's hard because <laughs> we want everything to just be easy and fun and to have it work the first time yeah. um, <laughs> but there's there's like one of the things that's been fun creatively about doing the about comedy is finding the ways in which the first draft is just the first draft and the ninth draft is the best draft or the 12th draft, right? Like so, so I have a joke, the blowjob joke that I did um, where I blow on the mic, <laughs> which is my favorite joke, right? That, that started as, as a memory because that did happen to me, right? That was my first, first blowjob as an adult. And, um, and it just started as this idea of, it would be funny if I if I 
if I talked about, if I told the story about a blowjob and then I blew into the mic, right? That would be a funny experience. But then, right, that's the, that's the first draft. That was the first thing. That was the little spark of creativity. And then what I had to do is I had to sort of lean into that. I had to sort of shape it and be like, okay, I had this spark of creativity. Now I've got to mold this into, and so now it's become like this longer bit. Not only a, a longer bit, like it, but it's sort of become the backbone of my set because I make several callbacks to it. So, so I think that creativity is, it's, it's finding that spark. It's finding that part of you that wants to express and then choosing to engage with that spark in a way that's, that's, that's intentional and disciplined. And that ultimately, um, I think is maybe a third part of it for me is that there's some kind of performance aspect. If you're not, you, we don't, we don't want to really create, if you're only creating in the closet and you don't show anyone, it's creative, but it's not, that's not the full thing that's supposed to happen, right? Creativity is supposed to be this gift of yourself to the community. Actually like that. So come out of the closet. Yeah, come out of the closet with your creativity <laughs> <laughs> and your gayness. <laughs> or whatever is hiding in that closet, unless there are skeletons. Sorry, as I'm yelling to people in the shop. No, I, I'm glad that you did. That spread some love. I wanted to thank them, too, for coming in. Next up is, who's your favorite Muppet and why? <laughs> who's my favorite Muppet? Um, I don't know why, but the first person that popped in my head was Gonzo. Um, that's the blue one, right, with yeah. the hooked nose. I love Gonzo. I Me think too. I think favorite. that I like Gonzo because he is he's weird. He doesn't. You don't really know what he is. But he is, he's kind of just there, right? He's, and he's like 100% there. So I like, I like his uniqueness and also his willingness to kind of just show up and be his weird self. I like that. Perfect. In the film of your life, who would play you? <laughs> In the film of my life? I've been told that I look like, um, oh, shit, what's that guy's name? Uh, Ansel Egbert. Do you, do you know who that who no, he is? No, who is this? He's a... Uh, I didn't know who he was either, but then I Googled him. Let's see. Ansel... Was he from The Second Wife? He was from The Second Wife, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elgort, that's his name, actually. It could just be that the dude's Mormon, because this actually looks like a lot of Mormons I know, but that's 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 him. Okay. Yeah, okay, I could see that. So I've been told that I look like him. Um, I would take that for sure. Um, <laughs> if if I had to pick someone to play me in a movie, I think I would want it to be. Um, <laughs> I think I would want to. Oh shit! What's his name? Uh, he plays the Hulk. A Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, I would love to have Mark Ruffalo play me. I love him too. Because I think that I think that he would kind of I think he would sort of nail the kind of like traumatized child slash comedian by like you would you would really get that he would be able to play like the pain and also the silliness plus he's like super good looking and rad so that would make me feel awesome so mark if you're listening please play me in a movie and what genre would the film be oh comedy for sure yeah 100 percent. with some with some like some drama for sure like some some tragedy in there but ultimately a comedy like Professor Hulk, you know, from 
that's when he, he his two sides kind of 100 percent, yeah kind yeah. of coming bringing yeah. that bringing that together <laughs> and some nice wholesome hilarious fun there you go <laughs> <laughs> well that's all we got um if you just want to run through where people can uh, find you online and if you've got any gigs coming up yeah so they can find me on uh on my socials i'm on tiktok instagram and youtube it's all at the fresh king benjamin um if you want to join my cult you can go to my website and you can uh, join my cult there uh, it's a legit cult i'm eventually going to file for a 501c3 when i have enough members um and i'll start a church it'll be great <laughs> how many members do you have to have i don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get back to us. That I'm going to call it. Funny. I'm going to call it a diet cult. In fact, and I have to, I have to sh- show you this because I've got a pretty sweet, um, I have a pretty sweet logo for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, and th- it's got the Mormon, Mormon blue. It's got the background. Mormon blue background. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I borrowed the, uh, <laughs> I borrowed the color scheme from the LDS uh, logo. Allegedly, I did that. Allegedly. <laughs> well, that the stone told you to. The sto- I only do what the stone tells me to do. Yeah. You guys, so I can't be held accountable because it's God talking to me. Unfortunately, he can't talk to anyone else. He can only talk to me. I've had a conversation with him about that, and I've told him, look. You it really would, should talk with other people, Oh, too. my God. It would be so much more helpful if you could just speak in a voice that everyone could hear. Like, if you could turn this seer stone into, like, a speaker. And just like speak through this, that would be rad. Like a Bose speaker. Like a Bose speaker, but he's <laughs> he said no. It just has to be me, and everyone just has to trust me, which is daunting. <laughs> but yeah, they can do that. And then I've got um, I don't have them scheduled yet, but I'm gonna have uh, I, I I did the the Rickles room here uh, in uh, in October. I'm gonna have another one of those probably in November and in December as well. So all that can be found on my website. Um, which is thefreshkingbenjamin.com. You can sign up for my email list there and like get notifications. And uh, yeah, I, f- I don't know if any of the people who are listening are business owners, but I also do totally 100% clean corporate comedy. So if you're looking for someone for like a fun Christmas party or Thanksgiving party or I don't know, Hanukkah party, if there are any Jews in Utah who have businesses, um, I can do all of those things as well. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, thanks for having me on, you guys. This was super fun. Thanks, Fresh King. I, I, <laughs> I like your vibe. I like that we uh, invented Bishop Hud today. <laughs> he is awesome. <laughs> He's so rad. <laughs> Just giving out free housing to the people who need it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> ben, thank you. Nah, thanks, guys. That's it. Bye-bye. What, what? Peace. Podcast is done, man. Ah, ah, ah.